Hey man, I want to welcome you to X Church. Whether you came today because someone you love is getting baptized or it's your first time here, man, we're excited you're here. It's Valentine's Day weekend. Hey, speaking of which, could we just send our love from this campus to our Lancaster family right now live? We love you, Lancaster. Uh, heart emojis, everything else that we could send your way. And if you're watching this online, man, it's great to have you. If this is your first time here, you picked a great time to show up. Because we're kicking off a brand new series. It's Valentine's Day weekend. I hope you had a great Valentine's Day if you have someone to love. And if you don't, I hope you had a great time with Netflix on Friday. That was, I hope you kind of watched movies and ordered pizza. That's fun too. So, hey, listen, we want to talk about love. Let me tell you why we're going to have a series for several weeks talking about what love is. It's because back at Christmas, we gave a survey out. And we said, tell us what is on your heart. Tell us what you would love to hear us talk about that could be helpful for you in life. Do you want to know what the number one subject was that all of you guys came together? It was on love, relationships, and marriage. And so we're doing this series because you asked for it. So if you don't like it, don't blame me, okay? You asked for it. And so we thought, what better time to launch this than on Valentine's Day weekend? It's the weekend of love. And we thought, this is, a, this is the best time to start this conversation. And here's what I know about you and I know about every one of us. And that is that love matters to you. Like, love matters to all of us. And even if you've been burned by love and you're like, I've written it off. The truth is, that's not true. Like, we all care deeply about love because, listen, all of our relationships are founded on love. And so love, man, it is so important. When you've got it, you feel like you're on top of the world. When you lose it, it hurts, can I say, like hell? Like it's painful. It's one of the most painful experiences that we go through in this human experience. And so what we want to do is we're going to have a conversation about it. It's going to last several weeks. Okay, today we're just going to, we're going to dive in. We're just going to dip our toes in the water a little bit today. But I want to encourage you. Come back for the next several weeks of this series. Let me tell you why. It's not for my benefit. Do this for yours. Because when I, when I see our relationships and how they're going, um, the reason why so many people say, can we talk about love? Can we talk about marriage? Can we talk about these things? It's because you feel the heartache when it doesn't work. You feel the pain when it doesn't go well. And if I could just tell you one of the greatest investments that you could make into your own life, into your own relationships, would be to lean in for this series and open your mind and say, okay, I've tried this and I've tried this and i got to be honest with you, maybe this didn't work and I'm not sure if this works. I'm open to hearing what God has to say about love. And so I just want to invite you, man, step into this for the next several weeks. Let's show up. Let's talk about it. Let's get real about love because I know this, that love is the foundation for every relationship. It is the bedrock for what matters most to all of us. It's love. And I also know that all of us, in one way, shape, or form, we all want two things out of life when it comes for, to love. We want to be loved and someone to love. That's what we all want. We, we all want someone to love us. And we want someone to love. This is a, the core of who we are. It's intrinsic. It's put in us. It's kind of how we were wired. It's how we're designed. Let me say it like this. You were made for love. Do you know that? You were made for love. Like, like when God put all the ingredients together for mankind, he put this one really important ingredient in all of us, and it was love. 
That you are designed by your creator for love, to love, to be loved. And so it is intrinsic. It's something we all want, we desperately want. Here's the challenge I see in our culture today. We all want this thing called love, but we all agree on what love is. Like we all have different definitions. If I passed out a card to every single one of you here in Lancaster, and we asked them, did it pull the audience? And I said, what do you think love is? The, the truth is this. I would probably get dozens and dozens of answers that would span so many different ideologies and beliefs of what love really is. The truth is we don't even agree on what love is. Yet we all want it. What does that mean? In fact, let me ask this, this question. Have you ever thought about where did you get your picture of love from? Where did it, where did it come from? Where did you get this idea that, that you are loved. Where'd you get this picture? I, I would argue and say that for all of us, when it comes to love, that, that we get our picture of love from one of two sources, really the combination of both. It's what we have watched and it's what we have experienced. It's what we've seen. Like some of you, your picture of love and relationships and marriage goes back to your parents. And so you watch them. That could be good or that could be bad. Let's be honest, right? Some of you, maybe you watched your parents and you're like, okay, I, I, you're supposed to be the offspring of their love. And, and you watch them, except it looks like they can't stand each other and don't even want to be in the same room with each other. So now you're kind of like, that's love? Ooh, I don't know if I want that. It, it's from what we've seen. Or maybe you watched... Uh, um, your sister dates some controlling jerk who said that he loved her, and but he manipulated her. But then she said she loved him, and she couldn't get away from him because she loved him too deeply. But then you watched him control her, and you watched his anger, and you're like, that's not love. It's something we've seen. Or, or maybe, here's, for some of us, maybe it's what we watched on TV. Sitcoms. I remember there was a TV show about love and marriage when I was growing up okay, that I was not allowed to watch. I've never seen it. It was called Married with Children. And if any of you seen it, raise your hand. Let's, I'm lying. I've seen it. Married with Children. You remember Al and Peg, right, Bundy? They were the model of love. Amen? Like, I ne- never saw a couple that hated each other more. And so you might have grown up and that was your, okay, maybe I'm dating myself. Instead, maybe you grew up watching Friends. And so that way, oh yeah, hey. By the way, they took friends off Netflix, so we desubscribed and all of that good stuff. But maybe you, you watch Friends, and love was like it went from friend to friend to friend to friend. It just bounced around from friend to friend, and that was your model of love. Like, we, we've all seen all these different pictures of what we've seen love, and then it could be what you experienced. It could be that someone told you they loved you deeply and then you found out they went around behind your back and betrayed you. Or, or, or that your boyfriend said that he loved you and you really felt it and meant it, but then the moment you wouldn't make love to him, he left you. Like, well, I don't know, or, or maybe in your situation that maybe your mom said, I love you, but I just don't love your dad anymore. And so we have this this picture of love and it's a bit of what we've experienced and the heartache and it's what we've watched and the truth is most of us when it comes to love we want to hold on to a fairy tale picture of what love is 
That, that's why Valentine's Day, it's for all the romantics. It's why all of these love stories and movies, like that's why they do so well. It's because there's something inside all of us that we want that. Have you ever noticed that these beautiful love stories, they always end with, with a, like a perfect little bow on it, and, and, the, and the princess always gets the knight in shining armor, or the frog always turns into a prince, or have you ever noticed that? Can I tell you this, that something you probably already know if you've lived? Love is not as pretty as we think it is. Love is a lot harder then we imagine it. But we want, to, we want to imagine it. I mean, think about it. Love, according to, to our culture, it, it looks so different than what it is in real life. I mean, Disney wants us to believe that love is a fairy tale. Instagram wants us to believe that love is picture perfect. Hollywood wants us to believe that love is glamorous. Our culture tells us that love can be whatever you want it to be. This is the picture, this is the story of what love is. And if we build our model of love on everything we see around us or maybe some of the heartache that we've experienced, can I tell you that our relationships will more than likely end up like Romeo and Juliet? Do you all know the story of Romeo and Juliet? Greatest love story ever told. And you want to know what the moral of the story of Romeo and Juliet is? Love will kill you. That's the basic Am I right or am I right? Now, some of you, are, you don't even know the story of Romeo and Juliet. If you don't know that story, I'll give you a substitute. Just watch The Notebook. It's the same thing. The people die in the end because of love. That's, the, that's what love does to you. And so we got a picture in our minds of what love is. And, and a lot of times we glamorize love, but we don't know what it really is. We look at power couples. We look at famous people, you know, and we see, you, you, ever, you ever watch famous couples, Hollywood couples, that they, they seem like the quintessential picture of love, like there's no higher level of love than, than the most beautiful people that come together. In fact, I remember, this was many, many years ago, but I remember when this one power couple came on the scene that everybody thought was the perfect picture of love. We're talking about beautiful people that come together, they have money, they've got wealth, they've got fame, they have it all. In our eyes, that is the picture of love. In fact, this one couple, their name was Brennifer. I don't, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. If you don't understand that, I'll translate it for you. It was Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. You all remember when they came together? Like, it was like, it does not get better than that. They're, I mean, the perfect couple Beautiful in every way, every sense. They had the perfect marriage, the wedding. I mean, it was in Malibu. It was gorgeous. It was ornate. It was like the couple in Hollywood. If there's anything to model your life and your love after, it is Brennifer. And they got married. And then they got divorced five years later. And that's sad. But that's what we, I mean, think about it. All the cover of the magazines that, that people pick up at the grocery stores that talk about what's the key, what's the truth. And it was, it was them. And, and, and the reason why that didn't make it was because what came next was Brangelina. Some of you are looking at me. You have no idea who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And the reason why Brennifer didn't make it was because Brangelina happened. And Brad Pitt fell in love with Angelina Jolie. And they started a life together, and then they had kids together. I mean, this is now, okay, that's the picture of love. And then they got married, and then they got divorced two years later. 
What I'm trying to say, and I'm not trying to knock it because I think divorce is painful. I don't care who you are. I, I think, I mean, if you've been through a divorce, you know the, the, it is, it's like it destroys so much of your life. But what I'm saying is maybe the problem has been that we have had the wrong definition, the wrong model, the wrong thing that we're looking to for love. And if we follow that model, it might lead us down the same path. What I want to do in this series is I want to start slow today. And, and, and so we're just going to kind of just dive in a little bit and just we're going to begin to build a new construct. We, we need to kind of take because if we look at culture and we look at these people and we look at what we've seen and maybe what we've been told by some people, we, we could have the wrong mindset, the wrong picture. And what I want us to do, because it's so foundational, is I want us to build a new picture of love. That's what I want us to do. That's why I just, I cannot stress enough. I'm not doing this so people come in attendance. I'm saying for your sake, let's have a conversation about what love really is. And I know you might already be married. Maybe you've been married for 10 years, but it doesn't mean that we don't, can't always learn how to love each other the way God intended love to be. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that. And so here's what I want to do. Today, I want to start from the beginning. Now, I'm not talking about your beginning. Okay, I'm not talking about how your mom and dad loved each other. That's as far as I'll go with that. And then you showed up. I'm, I want to go back even further than that. I, I want to start at the very, I want to ask this really, and I know maybe you don't like these existential questions. I don't know if you ever think through these things or philosophical questions that are really hard to answer and maybe nobody has a real answer. Um, can I ask that, where did love come from? Like, where did it originate? In our human experience, where did we get this idea of love from? Because I think it actually does matter. And I know it's a hard question to grasp, and, and, and it's kind of like this deep philosophical question of, you know, where did God come from? I don't know. It's really hard to answer, but I want us to step back in time to ancient history. Now, as far back as we know of ancient history, uh, mankind has basically always thought this about itself, about humans. And that is, they've thought that we as humans are really nothing more than a footnote to this big tale or this big story about the gods. I'm talking, I'm talking about we're going all the way back to as far as we know of human civilization. There was two general thoughts that existed from as far back as we have any literature. I'm talking about not just the Bible, any literature. There was two general consensus of thought about the human existence and it really goes back to, as humans, we, we, we had no idea, early civilization, of um, we didn't have science, we didn't have information, we didn't understand all these things we understand about our creation, about our world around us. And so what, here's what humans generally did. They would assign godlike qualities to things we could not understand. And they would call these gods. Two, two basic thoughts. There was what, what many of you, if you're Christ followers, believe, which is Judeo-Christian view, which is a monotheistic, one God. Or there was a polytheistic, many gods view that you can trace back through if you ever studied maybe in school Greek mythology. Okay, this was the mindset that many people believe. We're going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. Okay? And this is what the, the, the basic general thought was. That, that, you know, I don't, the sun was like this big glowing yellow thing that came up and we had no idea what it was, but it gave us heat and light and then it disappeared every day. And so because 
people didn't understand what it was, and we didn't have what we have technology today to know it's like a big ball of gas, and it's helium and hydrogen, all this stuff. They, they thought it was a god. And so they, they would call it the sun god. And they would worship the sun god because sometimes it would get really hot, and it wouldn't rain. And they thought, did we make some god mad? This is what they would think. And so th- this was the basic rule of thought in that day, that there were gods for everything you could have. The earth, well, there's a god there because it would shake sometimes. And we're like, what do we do? What do we do? Do we make the god mad? And so they would assign godlike qualities. And here's the basic idea that really even stems from way back in with Greek mythology, is that is the gods are to be feared. That we would try as humans to do whatever we could to appease the gods, to serve the gods. To, to make sure that gods were angry, because when gods are angry at us, then our experience is awful. Like if there was a violent storm that came, some god is mad. If the earth would shake, some god was angry. If there was a drought, some god oh, was angry. And, and, and man feared that the gods would smite them, have you heard that phrase, would destroy them and take them out. And so in order to appease the gods, one of the things that they would do, and if you've ever seen this as like, old ancient civilizations, they would sacrifice. Sometimes they would sacrifice their children to the gods. This was part of pagan polytheistic view of life. Okay, this, this is how they viewed the world and how they viewed life. Love did not rule the day. This is ancient history. Okay, now in Greek mythology, the, by the way, Greek mythology really came about some say 700 B.C., some say 400 B.C., really, really came to life with people like Plato and Socrates and all these people. This is before Christ. And, but the, the thought process behind mythology, which, you know, Greek mythology and then Roman mythology, was, had existed for hundreds of years before that. They just didn't write. It would be handed down. Same way the Bible and a lot of that was handed down verbally. And, and so the very first writing you have of Greek mythology uh, comes about 700 B.C., uh, it's a document called Theogony, where it describes the potential beginning of everything. And it's interesting um, because it's very similar to the biblical narrative that there were like three gods, that there was um, darkness, uh, there was chaos, and there was night, something like that. And these three gods, uh, it's that one of those gods kind of put an egg in the bosom of another god. And then after eons of time, what came out of that was some flying god called Eros. Okay? Now, if you, if you know this, now, again, there's different views. Even, even, even mythology, Greek mythology does not agree. Okay? But Eros is the god of love, sex, desire. Okay? That's, that's the god, Eros, if you ever heard that term. And then it's believed that that god, Eros kind of like consummated with another god, and then out of that came humans, okay? So again, I'm just going back to this, this mythology, which always kind of boggled my mind, just to be honest. Maybe you have no, you care nothing about this, and you're like, are we going to ever get to the Bible? Just wait, we will, I promise, okay? Don't freak out. But um, what I always thought was crazy was that two gods came together and then created another god, but then Two of those gods came together and created humans. I don't understand that how it all works, okay? But, but out of this was, was this world where humans lived in subservient to the gods and tried to appease them. Now, here's where the biblical nature or the biblical narrative takes a huge departure when it comes to God. The biblical narrative is that there is only one God, one creator, one God who is overall. 
that created the sun. Isn't it interesting that what science has actually proven to show us is that the sun can really be proven in what it is, scientifically. That it's gases, that it's, it's not a god, okay? But there was this one god, and, and that this god, for us and humans, we were not a footnote, but we were the headline of his creation. That everything that we have around us, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, the earth underneath of us, the seas, and everything, that God created all of it for us. That we are the pinnacle of his creation. And that you and I were created because God desired us in such a profound way, in a loving way. Here's where it is so different. When you read throughout the Bible as God interacts with people like Abraham and people like Moses, what you find is that they did not live in fear of God. This was crazy. But they operated and responded in relationship to God. This is the biblical narrative of God in the beginning says is so radically different than the general thought process of God back then. And then Jesus showed up. And, and why does all this matter? Because some of you are like, I just, I just want him to propose. I thought we were going to talk about stuff that would maybe he would propose finally. Or, you know, I just thought we'd talk about our, our marriage. We're going to. But we gotta, we got to get a foundation for love. And then here's Jesus, who steps out of heaven, the Son of God, who comes to live among us. And he kind of gives us a new picture of God, that God's not angry with us. See, everybody thought God's angry with us all the time. And Jesus showed up, he's like, actually, God's not angry with you. I want you to think about the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible and how different it is. It is that God created all of us. We messed it, his creation. Everything was perfect until we showed up. We did our thing. We messed it up. It's become corrupt because of things that humans do. And so instead of God, who the gods would normally smite you, would take you out, instead God says, you know what, I'll come to you and I'll fix it. I'll bridge the gap because I care so much about you. You're not a footnote in history. You're why I created it all. And so God, God would step down out of, earth, out of heaven and come to earth through the person of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, Jesus began to talk about God in a new light. If you got your Bible with you today, I told you we get there. I, I want to just read just a couple verses out of 1 John 3. Now, let me tell you where it is. It's at the very end of your Bible. Okay, we're going to go toward the very end. So if, you, if you're not used to it, you start at Revelation, back up a few. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll put the words up for you. Now, John, who wrote these words, was actually someone who was very close to Jesus. And actually what you're going to see is some of the things that he wrote were basically taken straight from Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he gave us a new perspective of how to see God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to hear what this says. John said this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should even be called. Now this was strange. Children of God. And that is what we are. Can I just tell you how different this was from the cultural norm of a polytheistic culture? This idea that God is like a father, a good father, a father that loves us so much that he wants to lavish. Like, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Hold your hand up. Like, parents, do you, you understand what this feels like, right? Where, where you see your child and it's like, I am so in love with my child. Before they ever did anything right, 
Right? I was so in love with my, I just, I want to dote on my child. I want to kiss. I want to hold my little child. They, they mean the world to me. Listen, Jesus showed up and he said, can I tell you something? That's how God feels about you. He loves you so much. And matter of fact, the idea of relating to God like a father was foreign. We're afraid of the gods. And Jesus said, no, no, no. There's one God and he's like a father. Now listen to me. If you had a dad that was abusive or maybe a dad that wasn't around, then sometimes it can mess with your understanding of God. Can I just tell you that's not the kind of God, that's not the kind of father that Jesus was talking about. He's talking about a good father that loves to give good gifts, that loves his kids, that loves us deeply, loves us desperately. This is the way God feels toward you. And Jesus said something that was a verse that I just, I know most of you know, and I thought we're going to talk about love and John 3.16. Most of you could probably quote it, Right? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. And whoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. Can I tell you what's so crazy about this story of Jesus is that God took this picture of what the world thought. We got to appease the gods. We got to sacrifice. You know, they would sacrifice, even on Jesus' day, they would sacrifice their children to these gods to appease them. And God said, you don't need to do that. In fact, I will show you what love is. I will sacrifice my son for you. Hold on, hold on, hold on. A God would give up his son for his creation? That is not how everyone believed. They believed it was the other way around. And so God, Jesus said, no, no, no. Well, you guys got the narrative back, backwards. And then I want to read 1 John 3.16. I know I read to you and I quoted John 3.16. Which really, 1 John 3.16, you, you'll get this. You'll see there's a connection. There's a connection. Here's John who really got that from Jesus. 1 John 3.16 begins like this. This is how we know what love is. Okay, everybody get your notebook out. Everybody get your phone out. We're, gonna, we're saying, okay, what is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. What is I got all, Every time I say these stupid phrases, I've got these awful songs that go through my head. I apologize if you get that throughout this entire series. Like, like every time I, I, I say, I, you know, we all just, I just want to know what love is. Not, not only the older crowd got that one, but John said, this is how we know what love is. Okay, I'm going to lean in. It's that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we know what love is? Here's what John said, who was with Jesus. It's that Jesus laid down his life in death for you. Jesus saw how your life and my life was a mess because of sin. Our world is ravaged from evil, all the ways I have broken other people's hearts, the way I've done. And he said, you know what? I will come and take your place. I'll sacrifice my life for yours. This is how we know what love is. And so as we're building a new picture and we're building a new construct of what love is we're going to start it today and we're going to start slow and then we're going to dive more into it and practical in weeks to come so you're going to want to be here but I want to give you just if, if I could just begin this conversation here's how I would describe it this Valentine's Day weekend I would say it this way love is death isn't that romantic you should write that down it's so good 
Love is death. In fact, can we all say that out loud together? Love is death. You can do better than that. Come on, say it like you mean it. Love is death. By the way, someone told me that would make an awesome tattoo. So if any of you want to go out and get a tattoo, post it on there, tag me. I'd love to see it. So why don't you get it, Pastor Tim? I, I, don't, know that I, I don't know that I would want to do that, but... I don't know if that should be my first tattoo. Honey, what do you think? Should I get that? Love is death right across my back? Maybe not. Love is death. I know what you're thinking. This sounds so morbid. Like, this, what, it's Valentine's Day weekend. We're supposed to be talking about love, and you're talking about death? Love is death? Like, like, lo, like Romeo and Juliet? You mean like that? You mean like in a literal sense? No, I don't mean in a literal sense, but I mean love is death. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Love is death. That means death to yourself. It means death to your wants. It means death to your desires. It means death to your plans. It means death to your ways. I mean, I know that's not what you wanted to hear. You were like, I was hoping we were going to show up and you were going to fix my spouse. I know that's what you were thinking. But, but we need to talk about you first. Love is death. It means dying to yourself. That's what I'm just telling you, I'm showing you God's model of love. If we say, if he's the one that started it all, and he showed us what love is, he says, okay, I'll show you what love is. I'm going to die for you. That love is, is death. And you know what's so counter to that is that we think that love is going to help us feel alive. Most of us feel that if we don't have love, something's missing. That, that, that it, it, have you ever noticed that, that when you fall in love, this is a term that we use when, you know, all the hormones are going crazy and they're firing off in your brain and it's letting you know you feel something, these emotions. But when we feel something like that, most of us say, that's when I feel most alive. What do you mean love is death? Love is like when I have that, I'm alive. When someone breaks my heart, I feel like death. What are you talking about? And maybe we, we think of it in the terms of the, the great prophet, Jerry Maguire, who, who would say, to love, you says you complete me most of us feel like something is missing if we don't have love that, that I've got to find love so I can feel alive and yet I'm telling you no actually love is death and the reason why we get this so flipped and maybe this is part of the problem today is because we have built a model of love where we are at the center it's an egocentric self-serving type of love where I say I want you to make me happy I want you to meet my needs I want you to satisfy me I want you to fulfill me if I could just find the one then I would be happy in life can I just tell you something that, um, that God created you so that he was the only one that would ever satisfy and fulfill and complete you. And the moment you look to somebody else to do that for you, you miss the big picture of love. You're there for me. That's, that's not what God's word says. That love is death. I'm going to die to myself for you. And here's what I, I know, as hard as this is maybe to hear, deep down inside, all of us kind of know that. Because you think to that moment when you felt love, and this is the problem today in our culture, is that most people base love on emotions. Well, I feel something. Well, I don't feel something. And that's whether I, I love or I don't love. 
And the truth is, if we could all go back in that moment, if you're married or maybe you've been with someone for a while, and think to the moment when you first felt the flutter of your heart, when, when you first felt the physiologically hormones going and all of this. The way you felt about that person, here's what you would have said. You would say, I would do anything for them. I would go to the ends of the earth for them. If they were sick, I would give up anything. I mortgage my house to buy them treatment. I would do anything. This is what every parent knows. Every parent, there's something that happens the moment you lay eyes on your child for the first time. You, you know what I'm talking about, moms and dads. The moment you saw them, Everything changed. You were like the Grinch, but then your heart grew three times larger. You never knew you had the capacity to feel the way you felt the moment you laid eyes on your child. And you think to yourself, this innocent little baby, I will protect, I would die for, I would jump in front of a truck for, I would, I would do anything for this child. Because where do we get that from? Let me tell you where we get it from. We get it from God. This is the God model of love, that love is death. And I never really understood that this picture of love is death until my wedding day. My wedding day. See, on my wedding day, something strange happened. Um, the church where we were getting married, uh, one of the congregants in that church died. And so the pastor told me, like, hey, we got to have a funeral here on Saturday. I was like, yeah, but I rented it, and I'm having a wedding here. And they're like, we got to do both. And so they had a funeral right before we got married at the altar. And I showed up early because we couldn't decorate for the wedding until the funeral was done. And so I showed up early, and I get there, and I look through the little crack in the doors in the back, and I see a casket right at the altar where my wife and I are about to say I do. And it seared this mental picture in my image, I mean image in my mind, that that's actually a really good picture of a relationship and of a marriage. It's that it's the death of something in each of us to create something new. In biblical language, here's what we say. It's where the two become you see, that doesn't happen unless something dies in each of you. In fact, I think a better way, you know how we got the altar, and if you got married or you're thinking about getting married, and there's always that, that moment. There's this moment that is the, it's where, you know, the vows and all this stuff where you're waiting to say, I do. You know that moment? Do you know what I think we should do? I think we should change it a little bit. I don't know if everybody agrees with me. But I think we should change it because I think that love is not just saying I do, it's saying I die. Love is not just saying I do, it's saying I die. And so if I have my way, at any wedding, you don't want me to officiate your wedding. I don't do weddings really much for our church because it's too large and that, and we have other pastors that do that. But, but, but if I were to do it, we're going to change it. So I'll, I'll be looking at you and say, do you take him to be your lawfully wedded husband and promise to die a little bit more every single day of your life. And that is when you say, I die. I think that's a better picture of marriage. If you want to have a relationship built on love, it's not just I do, it's I die. 
It's I, I die to myself. It's I die to my desires. I die to what I want. I die to it, and I die for you. That's what Scripture says. This is love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to do that for one another. And I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And I know you're thinking, I have given, 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 and she doesn't. I tried this. I, I, I have sacrificed, but he doesn't ever. And if I could just say, and, and, and it breaks my heart when I see relationships like that, can I just say, that is not how God intended it? I understand that that's your pain, but can I just say, that's not how God designed love. It was for you to sacrifice for him and him to sacrifice for you. And something beautiful happens where two become one. And so I know the question we all have, this sounds great, okay. I, love is death. Okay, I get this. How do I do this practically? Just to make sure we're clear, we are talking figurative, okay, and not literal. So we want to make sure we're clear on that. How do I do this practically? You're going to have to come back over the next several weeks to find out. Okay? You're going to have to. Today, we're just starting slow because it's going to take a lot for us to tear down our paradigm of love and to build a new one that starts with love is death. But here's where we're going to go on this journey. Okay? The inspiration for our journey really comes from a passage that maybe you had read at your wedding if you had a Christian wedding. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, that's the chapter we call the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Can I say that this is what inspired me when I was reading this to do this series? Is I thought about what culture says love is. And then I'm reading what God's word says that love is. And what I found is that they don't always line up. And so we're going to learn something new. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Some of you feel like, in my loving relationship, I haven't felt these things. I know, I know, but we're talking about real love here. At its core, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Here's what I know, that you and I, we want to be on the other side of this kind of love. Some of you would say, I deserve this kind of love. You and I, we want to be on the other side of somebody. If this is love, that's what I want. I want somebody to be patient with me. I want someone to, to be kind to me. I want someone to not get easily angered with me. I want somebody who's not going to keep track of every failure that I've had. We want that desperately in our relationships. And can I say this? We want that in our relationship with God. And yet when I look at this, can I be honest and just say from my perspective, this feels almost impossible. Let's be honest. It does. Because I find at times I'm not unkind in what I say. I find at times like love keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you have a really good memory when it comes to what she said and what he did? And it's like, I got, oh, okay, well, I'm just, oh, the way you looked at me that time and the, the comment that you thought, mm, I just, I'm going to go ahead and put that away in the back for another day. But love is, 
It's so different than, than what we often do. You say, how in the world are we supposed to experience this? Like, I, I want to experience this kind of love. How do we experience this kind of love? Let me tell you the key. Invite God into your life and into your love and into your relationships. Because all those things I just described, that is God. That's what 1 John 4 says, that God is love. So when I read that love is kind, it's because God is kind, and it's kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans says. When I read that love is patient, it's good that God is patient, as 2 Peter 3.9 says. When, when, I, when I see this, that love keeps no record of wrongs, can I tell you about God? And when you come to him and you confess your sins, that he not only forgives you, but he remembers your sins no more. What I'm describing to you, these are the attributes of God. And so if you want to change things in your relationship, you want to see things different, can I just tell you, maybe it's a fresh start, but it starts when God is the foundation of love and God is the understanding of what it is and you invite him into your relationship, into your life, it changes the narrative. So maybe that's where we need to start. Because to me, it all starts with Jesus who gave up his life for you and me. And if you don't know where to begin, can I just tell you, start with Jesus. Invite him into your life and surrender your life to him. And watch as he changes you. And the prayer will be not just you, but your spouse. People ask me sometimes, what's the greatest advice that you ever give somebody who's going to get married? I've been married for a long time. I won't tell you how many years because I'm afraid I might get it wrong. But I, is it 23, 24? Okay, 24. I got it. That's what I was going to say, honey. I just, it's 24. Is it? No. It's going to be 24. You're messing with me because this isn't 25. I'd be in big trouble if this was coming up on 25. I've been married for 24 years. So that's what happens, though, when you've been married for a long time. You lose count, all right, those of you that have been married a long time. Um, because time goes so fast. I have not even, it feels like yesterday, honey, that we got married with that <laughs> casket right up there. That's why I can't keep track of it. I just, I wanted to say that for my sake. Um, where were we? Why did you guys do that to me? Um, but when I think about the greatest thing I would ever give someone advice, them and their, sp- them and their future spouse, whoever, I would say align your life with Jesus because you get to a place where he can change you and he can change your spouse. Not they have to change and I'm going to change her. No, no, no. They're, they're surrendered to what God wants to do in them. And what happens is God-type love comes out of them. This is a key. This is a key. So we're going to start with love is death. And it begins when we surrender our lives to Jesus. Come on, would you all stand to your feet, both our locations. And, and let's just take a moment and pray. And let's just ask God to begin to do something in our hearts throughout this entire series. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, that we can, we can know you in such a unique way that we don't have to live in fear of you, God. I want to live out of respect for you, but I don't have to be afraid of you because you're a loving father, that you desire the best for each one of us, your children. And so, God, I pray that as we begin this series, I pray that you would begin to reshape love in our lives. And I pray that it starts with how we see you. I pray, God, right now, if there's someone here today or in Lancaster watching this, God, that that doesn't know you like this, that's been afraid of you because of what they've done, or maybe they feel like I could never come to God. Can I just say to you that 
God is a father who is waiting and watching for you to take one step toward him. That if by faith you would turn and take one step toward God today. I, I feel like God's speaking to someone right now. That by faith you say, God, I'm just going to lean. I want to I know a father who loves me that would remember my sins no more. That you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus today. This is the foundation that we build our lives on. This is a foundation of love. If that's you today here at either location and you say, this is speaking to me, I need this. I'm ready to start fresh with God. Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say, Father, I ask you now to forgive me of my sin and I receive Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to know your love. And I pray, God, that you would help me to begin a relationship with you. Help me to know what it means to operate in your love. God, I'm inviting you into my life to be the foundation of my life. And so today, right now, I surrender it completely to you. We pray all of these things together, and everybody said together. Come on, let's put our hands together, and let's just praise God for those who prayed that prayer.